0: The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. Well, good morning. While they're finishing up, let me just remind you, third hour over the next seven weeks, we're having this special Parkview U. Today, we're going to be talking about a lot of the real practical things of life, like wills and trusts and And just thinking of of the future, insurance products, real estate, how do you invest for God's kingdom? What do you do with your life? So all that happens the next hour in the chapel over the next seven weeks. So I want to invite you to that. Well, let me pray and we'll start. God, thank you for just a great opportunity to look at this incredible psalm. We all come with various struggles, heartaches. Uh, we're, We're all walking through the valley of some some sort. And uh, Lord, we need encouragement today. So for every single individual, Lord, I just pray that this psalm would speak clearly to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the questions I used to ask my kids, we would, we would use various animals to uh, display different kinds of characteristics in life. And so I would ask them, well, if for one day you could choose to be any animal in the animal kingdom, which animal would you choose? And, and they would choose, you know, an eagle or a lion or a tiger or an elephant or something like that. And yet it's amazing when David wants to identify himself with his relationship to God. He says, you know what? More than any other animal, we are sheep. And you think, wow, David, you are uh, the, the greatest king of the greatest nation on earth, and you're saying, we're sheep? And that's exactly what Psalm 23 is all about. About, oh, half a dozen different times throughout the Psalter, it says things like, but we, your people, we're your people, we're the sheep of your pasture. And it's amazing because without the anim- throughout the animal kingdom, every other animal has some, some sort of defensive mechanism, whether it be Fangs, whether it be uh, burrowing, whether it be camouflage, whether it be clawing or fighting or climbing or flying, uh, all different kinds of ways to protect itself. But the sheep is the one animal that, that really has no means to protect itself. And that's why from the very beginning of the book of Genesis, you see that uh, a, a sheep, sheep are given to the care of a shepherd. But when that sheep is under the care of the shepherd, Uh, the sheep is mightier than the lion or the bear when the sheep is next to David, to the great shepherd of the sheep when David is close by. So we're going to spend about seven weeks going through Psalm 23, an incredible psalm, uh, one that should encourage absolutely every single one of us. And he begins with this, this glorious picture of the Lord it's the Lord is our shepherd. And we don't, we don't question, usually as believers, we don't question the fact that, that God is almighty. He's the creator of the universe. He holds the galaxies in his hands. And yet we do wonder and we often do struggle, but is God really, does he really care personally for me? Is he really acquainted with my life? Yeah, he's, he's sovereign, all right, but, but is he tender? Is he loving? We don't question the fact that he holds the galaxies in their courses by gravity. Uh, we, we don't question that, that the stars are held in their courses above, but yet at the same time, that same gravity is used to pull a drop of medicine out of an eyedropper into the eye of an infant that's what we see in Psalm 23. I think if you were to ask somebody who doesn't know anything about God, that, hey, if if there really was a God, what would you want from this God? I I would say people would normally say, well, if there really is a God, I'd want Him to make sure that I'm fed, that I'm directed, that I'm protected, that, that perhaps He gives me some success in life, maybe security in life. And that's exactly what we see in Psalm 23. So I want you to stand with me. We're going we're gonna to read Psalm 23 together. And I've put some little highlights. These are covenantal promises given to his sheep, the sheep of his pasture. And so I won't read the headlines, so to speak, the covenantal promises, but let's read the Psalm together and I'll let you read them yourself. Okay, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Well, let me just give you, go ahead and have a seat. I want to give you a couple of little qualifiers here about these covenantal promises. First is, this isn't a blanket verse for every human being. In a sense, we're all created by God, we're created in the image of God. So we're all his creatures, but covenantally, not all of us are his covenantal children. It's those who have, who have put their faith, their trust in him that are his covenantal, covenantal creatures, uh, part of his creation. Second little caveat I want to give you, qualifier here. Throughout Scripture, you'll always see the balance between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. So along with these covenantal promises also comes responsibility. I'll highlight some of these along the way as well. For example, John 6, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. Clearly the sovereignty of God. Next phrase, and whoever comes to me. I will in no wise cast out. That's human responsibility. So they're always held in tension. I will refer to this throughout the psalm. Well, let's just hit the promise. The promise is very clear. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's interesting, Albert Einstein, I mean, obviously a very brilliant individual. At the end of his life, he had one significant question that he couldn't solve. And the question was, is the universe friendly? And you think about it, with everything he knew about mathematics and physics and and astronomy and the cosmos, uh, he was struggling with, is there anybody out there who really loves me? And so David begins this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he uses this word, it's the word used for God more than any other words, over 5,300 times, Yahweh. Uh, It was a word that Israelites wouldn't even pronounce, so they used the tetragrammaton, this four letters, Y-H-W-H, just to designate it. Uh, Yahweh, the Lord, is our shepherd. And uh, it's interesting. This is a good book. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23, Philip Keller, and so as a shepherd, he would he would he works his way through the psalm to give us some insight. It's good, and basically he just says, you know, any good shepherd for sheep will will protect the sheep, provide for the sheep, guide the sheep, etc. And that's what we're looking at as well. Uh, let me mention this as we work through this psalm. This this psalm is not saying that if you believe in God, you won't experience trials. You won't experience tribulations. You won't experience pain. You won't experience suffering. We're going to work through the major philosophies of life and show the integration between their approach to life and how they deal with pain and suffering. It's radically different from the Bible, even though each of those five philosophies, you can pull verses out of the Bible that would support all five of them. So we're going to look at those. But what I do want to say is that when we look at the psalm, as is the case with every psalm, you have to look at it not just temporally, but eternally as well. Every psalm will find its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will make sure we see it from an eternal perspective. I'll help you as we work through this psalm and refer to other psalms that relate to it that drive us to the eternal perspective as well. He says, so the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In other words, I'm not going to be devoid. To want means to be devoid of something, deprived of something, too little of something. So again, this psalm finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. So that's why when we get to the Gospels, we see Jesus as John chapter 10, the what? The good shepherd. Or we get to Hebrews 13, he is the great shepherd. Or we get to the epistles, 1 Peter chapter 5, he is the chief shepherd. And it says, so the Lord, Yahweh, is our shepherd. Therefore, I'm not going to be to the point where I'm Devoid of something, deprived of something. Now, initially, we always think temporally food, clothing, etc. Uh, and, and that clearly is part of the emphasis. For example, in Matthew 6, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious. Uh, th- that comes from the Latin root, but if you wanted to use the Germanic root of the word, don't worry. We're gone. Don't worry. Here, Latin, anxious. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, worry, can add a single hour to his span of life? then it skips down. He goes through the whole logic here. D- don't worry. Don't be anxious saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? The Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them temporally. Temporally, he knows that this is a reality of life, but seek, and he switches to the to the eternal. Seek versus kingdom and his righteousness. All these kind of things are going to be added to you. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is... Uh, is its own trouble. So what's the problem? The, the problem is, as his sheep, we often, as we go through trials and tribulations, we go through the valley of the shadow of death, or in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we go through the temptations of life. Our response to that is we become anxious or we worry. It comes from the word, uh, the Latin word, to, to choke, to choke, we feel choked by stuff. Or if we use the Anglo-Saxon word, uh, we, we worry or to strangle, we feel strangled by stuff. And now let me ask you, I don't know, whatever you go through in life, do you ever get to the point where you, anybody here over the last couple of weeks, have you worried or were you anxious about anything? Anybody here? God bless you. I see that hand. Are there others? Yeah. Yes, there are. Yeah. All of us. All of us have, have been there. We can all identify that, whether it's finances, or jobs, or relationships, or our kids, or health, and you know all, all those kinds of things. Who our kids are dating? Who our kids are marrying? You know, the degradation of our bodies, uh, sickness, etc. We we can feel choked. We can feel strangled by by any of these things. Let me give you three problems with worrying. Anxiety, worrying. This is why we have a great shepherd. Uh, One problem is it's just unhelpful. Why? Because anxiety or worry, feeling choked about something, doesn't accomplish anything. All it is is stewing without doing. All it is is like uh, my my aunt used to ask my cousin to get the car ready for her to drive about a mile and a half. She was a teacher, and she wanted the car warmed up. So William would get in that car, and he'd be out in the carport. just stomping on the gas. You know, and I hear this engine about ready to explode, and there's, there's oil just bellowing out of the exhaust pipe. And I think, That's worry. That's what anxiety is. You're not getting anywhere. You're burning a lot of fuel. You're burning a lot of oil. You're destroying the engine, and you're not going anywhere. So it's never solved any problems. It can't change the past it can only uh, mess up your life as you feel strangled and controlled. It just will make you miserable. So it's unhelpful. Secondly, it's unreasonable. It's unreasonable because to worry about something you can't change—that you can't change—is absolutely useless. If you can't change it, why worry about it? It's useless to worry over something you can't change. Or, on the other hand, to worry about something you can change. It's just stupid. Change it. I'll I'll tell you what my mother used to say. If she said it once, she said it a million times. Because I wanted good grades. I wanted straight A's. Believe me, I wanted all A's. And I'd be in school and I'd be studying. There'd be a test. Oh, I got a big test. and, uh." And my mother used to say this. She said it once. She said it a thousand times. Jeffrey, convert your worry power into study power. All the time. And that's, that's exactly it. Worry, anxiety was just stewing without doing. I mean, it's dumb when you can do something about it, do something about it. So study, quit worrying, study. Or hey, if, if you are complaining about, you know, what you eat or your health or whatever, then change what you eat. You know, you feel like you're out of shape, then start exercising, you know, don't stew without do. Uh, So it's unhelpful. It's unreasonable. It's unhealthy. It's your your body. It's amazing out of the whole animal kingdom. We're the only ones who worry and are anxious and and who twiddle our thumbs over stuff. We're the only ones. That's why we were given a shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. So we don't have to do it. It's so unhealthy. Uh, Dr. William Uh, Galtrow from uh, Minrith Meyer Clinic, he's actually written a book on soul shepherding. And he talks about the destruction to the body, what worry and anxiety does to the body, just physically, uh, everything from inflammation to insomnia. It just kills us. So what's the prescription? Uh, Well, somehow I've got to believe that the Lord's going to take care of me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. In other words, I'm going to have every, another translation. I have everything that I'll need. How's that going to take place? Keller would say he provides, he protects, he guides, he corrects. I would say the way we divide it, as we'll see over the next number of weeks, he provides, he directs, he protects, he gives us success, he gives us security. Uh, God has promised to do these things in our life if we allow him to be the shepherd of our lives. Now, hopefully we'll get a little bit deeper here. Uh, I love Isaiah 40. He's going to tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Or if we want to get a little bit more specifically in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will supply, I want you to track with me here. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, you have to understand this more than temporally. You have to understand this eternally. And my God will supply all of your needs. He doesn't say, my God's gonna supply all your greeds. He says, I'm gonna supply all your needs. And when God makes a promise, his character is actually on the line. It doesn't mean, oh, he's gonna supply all my needs? Well, then I, I'm not gonna experience pain. I'm not gonna experience suffering. I'm not gonna to have to endure uh, temptation. Oh no, oh no. What is the ultimate need that Jesus is trying to do in your life? I mean, what's the ultimate goal? To help you be conformed into the image of Jesus. Yeah. That we would honor and glorify him with our lives. So now there's an eternal perspective here. So that's why this psalm wants to make it real clear. Even though you have a Yahweh, your shepherd, doesn't mean you will no longer walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, you will. It doesn't mean that you won't go through temptation. First Corinthians chapter 10. What it means is that I will be with you through the temptation to provide a way so that you can actually endure the temptation. Because it's when you go through the valleys and through the temptations that you become eternally more like Jesus. So these aren't bad things. These are good things. This is your need. This is your need. So God's character is on the line for this stuff. Now, let me just ask you out of curiosity, how many of you, you own, or perhaps you're making payments on a a house? Anybody? Okay. So a lot of people do that. You own a home. You're you're making payments. If you're making payments and the bank holds a mortgage, will they make sure you have fire insurance on your house? Oh yeah. Yeah. Does anybody here own insurance? Anybody? And actually, interesting, this week, at Parkview U, we're covering wills and trusts and and stuff like this, looking at the future. Uh, Next week is going to be real practical things like uh, real estate and uh, insurance, things like that. You know, how does that fit into God's plan? Um, So a lot of people here have insurance. A lot of people have homeowner's insurance. Now, legitimate question, I want you to answer it. For those of you who have homeowner's insurance, which would include covering your house in case of fire. How many of you have spent, during the last two weeks, you have been up at night worrying whether or not your house caught fire, the insurance company would kick in and pay for it? Anybody here? You have just been up pacing the floors because you are so worried whether or not your house catches fire, the insurance company is going to pay. Anybody? No, Why? Well, the human responsibility thing, you signed on the line, you you paid for the insurance and you've you've not only signed the contract, but you've you've made your payment. And so by faith, you you don't worry about it. You count that it's going to happen. In the same way, this book has over 7,000 promises, but we can't take those promises out of context. We can't just look at them temporally. We have to see the entire picture of those as well. That's why I think uh, Tim Keller in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, does such such a good job helping us see the whole picture, because a lot of us wonder, how does pain and suffering and walking through trials and tribulations, how does this really stack up with the Christian message as a whole? So let me just walk through a few different, he points out, I'm just sort of summarizing some of the points that he makes in the various philosophies of life and how they interpret pain and suffering. So on the one hand, there's the moralists. Now, a lot of us have been here. The disciples were here, the Pharisees were there. The the moralists would, would basically say, hey, if you're suffering, if you're going through pain, if you're sick, whatever, it's just because you got bad karma. You just need to change your way. The disciples were there. Ask Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents said he was born blind? Jesus said, neither. And he focuses them eternally. It was that God would be glorified. He says, your your picture is way too limited. You've got to have a bigger, bigger picture here. Uh, That was Job's friends. You know, Job's going through all this stuff. and, And Job's friends are just saying, look, if you want things to get better... Job, you've got to change. That's a moralist view. And yet the Bible clearly teaches that suffering in many cases is experienced by the just, by the righteous, by the godly. I mean, a lot of the Psalter is this. A lot of the Psalms, Psalm 73 says, well, why, why do the ungodly prosper? He says, I just look around and it's the ungodly who are getting rich. It's the ungodly that don't have problems. Look at me. I'm trying to live for you. In vain, I've kept my heart clean. In vain, I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I've been stricken. All day long, I've been rebuked every morning. Couldn't put it together until he saw things eternally. He says, until I got in the, in the temple of God. Once I got into the temple of God, I could see their end. In other words, not temporal, eternal. I could see their end. Oh, now it makes sense. Or the communalist, the self-transcendent, the Buddhist, the, the universalist, the uh, Um, this is where I was raised. The second philosophy is how I was raised. Unity School of Christianity, Mary Baker, Eddie, you've heard of Mary Baker, Eddie? It's really Mary Baker, Fry, Glover, Patterson, Eddie. But uh, that's how I was raised. And I was raised to think, hey, you just reject negative thoughts. That's negative. You reject it. You reject and deny pain. You reject and deny suffering. You want positive thoughts positive thoughts, tranquility, etc. But the Bible teaches us that suffering isn't an illusion. Pain and suffering and trials and tribulations are very, very real. Jesus in the garden, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, even to the point of death. Jesus weeps, not my will, but thy will be done. And through suffering, not something to be rejected, the most positive thing in the world came through suffering and pain and trials and tribulations, just like it happens with us. Thirdly, another view would be the fatalistic view of life. And again, there there are elements. Christianity can point to all of these moralists. Every time you're sick, you probably look at life through the moralistic view. You get sick and you go, oh, what did I do? I knew I shouldn't have said that to an individual. you're there. The fatalist view—you're there—must be God's will, you know, God's sovereignty. The, the fatalistic view uh, is basically like Islam. Islam, you know, people wonder about uh, the the Islamic terrorists who, who the suicidal bombers, and you think, how could that even be possible? Well unless you understand their philosophic view of life, and once you do understand it, it makes all the sense in the world because they're just basically saying it's fate, it's destiny, it's the will of Allah, it's submission to divine fate without compromise or complaint. And it's the highest virtue they could attain to in clinging to it. There were a lot of Christians who've gone down that view as well predestination, double predestination, etc. Some of Calvin's followers were there. But the Bible, the Bible says, no, you don't embrace it as the highest form of, of virtue. No, the Bible urges us to openly express our grief and cries to God, openly wondering how it all fits together. That's Psalm 73, that's, here's another one. Uh, Psalm 88, I cry out, these are the psalms of lament. I cry out day and night before you. My soul is filled with troubles. Your wrath lies heavily upon me and I'm I'm overwhelmed, God, with your waves. And as Derek Kidner, uh, one of the greatest Hebrew scholars who has ever lived, translates the end of this Psalm, psalm 88, uh, the psalmist ends this, salt, this psalm by saying, Dark, instead of, hey, God, you're my closest friend. Jesus, my buddy. It's instead of, God, you're my closest friend, he ends it, darkness is my closest friend. It's a fatalistic view. He, he was urged to be open and honest with his feelings, wondering how it all fits together. The dualists like Luke Skywalker, Marxism, uh, be like Jaws, you know, and Jaws in Jaws the, in the belly of the ship when they're comparing the battle wounds. Uh, this is the, the, the struggle between light and darkness, these two, and, and finally the triumph uh, over suffering is sort of like, like Payne's, uh, Stephen Payne's, the red badge of courage, something like that. And in other words, it's a mark of moral, spiritual superiority. And yet the Bible says, no, everything is by the grace of God. Everything's the grace of God. Forgiveness we receive as a grace of God. Love we receive by the grace of God. Adoption we receive by the grace of God. Now, follow me. Pain and suffering is a gift of the grace of God. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. We can't sit in pride or arrogance thinking that it's our red badge of courage. It's a gift. Here's a great book It's from my, not hometown, but Louisiana. Uh, You're familiar with the famous Leprosarium in Louisiana. Uh, in Carville, Louisiana, Dr. Paul Brand, he was the one who finally came up saying, oh, wow, leprosy isn't really this decaying flesh disease. Leprosy is an issue of people not experiencing pain. And when you don't experience pain, you're in for big trouble." And so he was a a very famous hand surgeon. Uh, His wife actually is a surgeon as well. It's interesting. Uh, He was a missionary kid. And when he finally made this discovery about how necessary pain is, here's the book, The Gift of Pain. Very, very interesting. We're going to order a few, have a few in, I think. Andrew, coming in next week. Dave Foster was so impressed with this book. It it changed his life so much. He actually called, he's dead now, but he called Paul Brand and uh, talked to him. But it's the gift of pain. Um, The the last view, the secularist view, um, claims that really, and a lot of us as Christians are here. There's a huge part of Christianity that's here. And basically we say that pain suffering, it really doesn't have a purpose. Uh, It's not good, it's not bad. Pain and suffering is just sort of senseless. Or in the words of Alfred Hausman, he said, the poet Alfred Hausman, for nature, heartless, witless nature, will neither care nor know. Or we could paraphrase it, DNA neither knows nor cares, DNA just is and we'll dance to its music. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just there. And so the secularist then has to redefine meaning. If there's no good, if there's no evil, the secularist just has to define meaning and purpose in life. I'm gonna drive you back to the late 70s, early 80s when um, Francis Schaeffer, when Francis Schaeffer wrote the book *How Should We Then Live*, I just reread it uh, maybe two months ago. Is it awesome? Maybe, uh, four months ago, awesome, awesome book. And basically, what Francis Schaeffer did, he said, you know, we are in an extremely secular environment, and what we have done for most Christians is we have defined meaning and purpose in life as attaining personal peace and affluence. That's that's what meaning and purpose is, personal peace, affluence. And so out of this comes what we we might call just the health and wealth gospel. You know, we'll pull real verses out and come up with an entire theology, the health and wealth gospel. I mean, it's like any broken clock. It's right on twice a day, just like the fatalistic view and God's sovereignty. Allah is sovereign. We would say God is sovereign. And we can pull out verses, and it's right on time, twice a day. Just like the moralistic view, it's right on time, twice a day. But the gospel is so much bigger than all of this. And the truth of the matter is, this is why, for most Americans, pain and suffering is incredibly traumatic. We don't get it. We we don't understand it. Uh, And we want to do away with it. Uh, because secular influence has affected us so deeply, yet the Bible clearly teaches us that life is filled with pain, with suffering, with trials, with tribulations. And the wonderful part of that is we get to walk through them with the shepherd, with Yahweh, the shepherd, who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death in during, through temptation. And it's extremely meaningful and extremely purposeful. And in the words of Paul Brandt, it's a gift. The purpose to it is that when we have this chief shepherd and we face it with faith, faith these trials and tribulations in the valley of shadow of death drive us like a nail deep into the love of God where all of a sudden we identify far more with God and with Jesus and we're more conformed to his image than we would ever be without it. It's then that we can say like the psalmist, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall eternally dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, how can I let God be my shepherd? Real quick, I'm going to give you the ABCs of following God as your shepherd. A, what's A? Accept Jesus as my Lord. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord can't be your shepherd until the shepherd is your Lord. Okay? He has to be your Lord. And to do that, I'm the good shepherd, Jesus says in John 10. If I'm the good shepherd, my sheep, I'm gonna summarize it, my sheep know me, my sheep listen to my voice and my sheep follow me. If you want Jesus to be your Lord, your shepherd, you know him, you listen to him and you follow him. I just say it right up. My mother gave me a picture. When I went off to school, a picture of me at the helm and Jesus, you know, with his hand on my shoulder. And I think the title of the painting is, Jesus, my co-pilot. Can I just make it real clear? Jesus doesn't want to be your co-pilot. Because you will sink the boat, you'll crash the plane, and then you'll blame the co-pilot. He doesn't want to be your co-pilot. Jesus wants to be your Lord, the pilot the pilot. That's the only way you won't feel strangled or choked with worry. The only way you're going to worry and feel choked is when you're the pilot and Jesus is the co-pilot. Accept Jesus as your Lord. B, begin praying about everything. Don't be choked strangled about everything in prayer supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god the peace of god which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in christ jesus listen god's ability is greater than your anxiety so you bring it to god you go to your not your co-pilot you're in trouble if jesus is your co-pilot you go to your pilot and you're saying I am feeling choked with this stuff. So now what do I do? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. you. You're feeling choked. You're feeling strangled. Worry, anxiety. Go to your pilot, not the co-pilot. I'm being strangled. I'm being choked. So now I'm going to cast it on the pilot. The word cast means to unload, to dump. I'm going to dump this. I'm going to unload it on the pilot. Thirdly, consider taking one day at a time. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. God gives us days in bite-sized, 24-hour increments, and I'm going to believe God is going to be my shepherd today. Today, I'm going to take what's choking me, and I'm going to dump it on the pilot, knowing he's working for good in my life. I don't know what's got you worried. Everybody here, there's something, and I'll guarantee you it's not whether or not your insurance company will pay the claim if your house catches on fire. There's other things that are concerning you that have your tension, that have you worried. Look, don't be a secularist. Don't be a fatalist. Don't be a dualist. Don't be a communalist. Don't be a moralist. Be a Christian. Be, be a believer in Jesus Christ where you are embracing what the good shepherd is taking you through. Let's all stand up. Let's close our eyes together. And we're going to end by singing a wonderful song. Lord, thank you. And right now, as believers, we come to you uh, convinced that you really do want to be our good shepherd. And Lord we want to trust you, not as our co-pilot, but as our pilot. And so the stuff that I'm worrying about right now, Lord, I I want to dump it on you. You're the one who can handle it. You're the one who can faithfully handle it. So we thank you for that. We ask it in Jesus' name.